I got off the subway at 86th and Broadway and clawed my way through the usual mob of people, hauling myself up the stairwell to the street. The air smelled good. Even the soot and sweat and all the stinks of New York were good all of a sudden. I felt at home, and I hadn't felt like that since I left New York. It's a funny thing, and it's a thing that never fails. If you start in New York, you'll never have another home, no matter how long you're away or how many other bergs you hit. The subway was crowded and the air outside was stale and musty, but that didn't make a hell of a lot of difference. Dan Larkin was home. There were no brass bands. There was no ticker tape parade with Grover Whalen sitting up there next to me. Nothing like that. Dan Larkin was home, and nobody in the world gave a good goddamn. I shook my head, realizing that I'd been standing on the street corner like a lost sheep for about five minutes. The light turned, and I crossed Broadway, then headed south and east again on 85th Street. Walking was easier. Walking gave me something to do so I wouldn't have to bother thinking. But you can't shut thoughts out. East of Broadway, the neighborhood was a collection of run-down red-brick tenements with kids playing stickball in the street, and obscene scrawlings on the red brick walls. I started to remember. I saw how far up I had gone, and how far down I had come. I didn't start on 85th Street, but I started on a street just like it, or worse, an ugly little street in East Harlem. I went up fast, and I came down faster. My suitcase felt heavy, and I looked down at it. It was covered with scratches, but it was still good leather, the only decent thing I still owned. There was a sort of poetic beauty in it, because when I bought that suitcase, I didn't have a pot to piss in. I bought it the first time I moved out of Harlem and into the village— and I had cockeyed ideas about impressing my landlady with a decent show of luggage. The clothes I stuffed into the suitcase were pretty bad, but the landlady never got much of a look at them. Later I realized that I made a mistake. The damned landlady figured my rent on the basis of the suitcase. But in those days I was just twenty and on the way up, and it was something else to laugh about. Everything was a load of laughs then. Well, I still had the suitcase, but the laughs were gone. It all started in that room in Greenwich Village, the whole uphill climb and the rolling tumble back down the hill. I locked myself in that room for a twelve-hour stretch every day, seven days a week, banging the great American novel out on a broken-down royal portable. By the time I finished it, I had run through three reams of typewriter paper, and the portable was ready for the junk man. I boxed the book and hauled it uptown to a publisher, 
and I came back to the village and had a few beers in a cellar club to celebrate. The first publisher bounced the book with a form slip. So did the second, and the third, and the fourth. The fifth publisher sent along a nice note, saying that the occasional drive and brilliance couldn't begin to compensate for the length and lack of organization and total absence of commercial appeal. Then there were more form rejections, from a total of twenty publishers—